What is up, everybody? Woo! It's been a while. Uh, welcome to episode number 255 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Tuesday, August 23rd, 4.17 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. My name is Josh Cannon, and I don't know who the fuck this other person is because I haven't seen him around for like over three years. <laughs> <laughs> it like, probably probably just feels like over three years since uh, we we haven't been together on the podcast for weeks. I haven't been able to do shit consistently, like because liter- yeah. literally my band is ever consuming like my entire life. And I was just ta- I was just messaging Stephanie minutes before recording this podcast. I'm like, dude, I want a blackout week. I want a week where we don't post anything band related and. I want to just start posting shit about myself and who yeah. I am and like like there there's like it it kind of dawned on me last night when I was on my karaoke gig uh this lady who I'm kind of friends with acquainted with or whatever um but we barely ever talk and um I was complimenting her on her hair cuz she had dyed it blonde and it looked really good on her or whatever and she's like, oh, thanks so much. She's like, how's the band? I need to come out to one of your shows, but I'm always working. And for some reason, that just, like, triggered me. Because, like, probably because it was, like, th- the, the thousandth time I've heard people say that exact same thing to me. Like, I don't care if you come to my show or not. Like, I'm just trying to have a conversation with you as, like, a person. And you're bringing up the band and how you wish you came to a sh- it's like dude i'm not constantly in hype mode like i am a, p- a fucking person that just maybe wants to have a normal conversation with you but i can't blame people for being that way because i'm constantly promoting my band on social uh-huh. media so it's yeah. so the, that's the only context that they know me in yeah so i want to have like a blackout week where i don't say shit about my band and I just only. Well, I think it would also be good for you, like, just to kind of take a break. Yeah, if you're like... constantly in hype mode, and you're always like doing music videos, or you're always, you know, doing this, and just super hyper focused on the band. Then, like anything, you can you can get burned out. Oh, on I'm it. experiencing band burnout, buddy boy. Trust me, I am experiencing it, and it's scaring me because I've put too much work into this. Yeah. To get sick of it, you know, and mm-hmm. so. I just really think that, you know, I need to take some time away from it and, um, yeah. you know, just like I fucking miss like doing long form YouTube videos. I miss putting more work, yeah. like work into my YouTube channel. I feel, I, I, I feel, uh, I'm starting to get burnout with, you know, my work, you know, cause it's just very, just the same kind of stuff. <laughs> and there is a certain familiarity to that, which is nice. But it, it's just one of those things where it, things are just getting to the point where, I don't know, it, it's like there's, there's really isn't much of a challenge. So I guess that's part of it. You know, it would be kind of nice to maybe start a new challenge sometime. Because I'm kind of that, I'm kind of the that uh, sort of person. I, li- I like tackling new things. Um, if I, yeah, that's how it feels with the band. It's like every week we like generate content, post the fuck out yeah. of shit, and then we have to make new content, and then we play shows. And we agreed to way too many fucking shows. Like we, 
Mm-hmm. Early this year, we were pissing and moaning. Me and Stephanie were pissing and moaning about why doesn't anybody offer us shows? We've been a band for so long, and you know we never get show offers. And then, like as if the clouds opened as soon as we said that, like all these show lightning bolts came mm-hmm. at us, and we just agreed to everything. We're like, yeah, it's, we'll do it. Yeah, we'll do it. It's yeah. one of those be careful what you wish for. Yeah, kind of yeah. And so now we have yeah. shows out the ass that we all that we're always having to practice for uh-huh. the fucking music video where we hired a, a professional film crew to shoot wow. to shoot the thing. Cool. Yeah, it was like three people. Like it wasn't just mm-hmm. one one dude with a with a bunch of with a fancy camera. It was like three people, super professional gear. Like all I right. I haven't even seen the finished. Uh, version of it it's still being worked on but uh it's gonna be like the most epic like looking epic looking music video we have so far um maybe not as much um uh kind of uh plot i guess because like Uh our our old videos had like you know these storylines and shit and you know maybe some people felt thought that was charming or endearing but like i look back at some of those and i'm just like this looks like a someone who's a student film like it's taking like a like a film class in college mm-hmm. like this looks <laughs> this video looks like their like their final project that they had to turn at the at the end of the year you know like to display all the skills that they've yeah. learned it's it's definitely yeah. they're not not the most professional but they're not they're not as bad as like some that i've seen but anyway like yeah i, I I want to be like fucking consistent with the podcast. Like I want it out. Like I wish we could mm-hmm. pick. I wish we could pick a day like we used to do, and yeah. like every other Monday, a new episode will come out. You know, like I wish we could just like. It's just it's one of those things with our schedules. Like it, it's it, it's kind of chaotic. Yeah, I like, like when I started no when I started the podcast with you day. in 2016. Like I had so much less going on in my. So life. did I. <laughs> like, yeah so we were, we were we were popping them out once a week you know it was easy, yeah. easy to do blah 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 and now like what six years later like shit's changed yeah that, that's kind of i'm kind of noticing that with my youtube channel like it's it's harder to keep up yeah me too. like i'm just i'm just working so much and you know when i do have free time like i'm spending a lot more of it like sleeping in because I'm freaking exhausted. My, now my my stupid ass like whenever I have free time now, it's usually at night and mm-hmm. I have been like going out and drinking cuz yeah. like that's how I'm coping yeah. with how busy and shitty everything's uh-huh. gotten. And you know, so you're constantly in a state when you're not drunk, you're constantly in a state of like not feeling that great. And um yeah, <laughs> it's just all it's all becoming a little much yeah. for me right now. But, yeah, you know. I, I feel you, and you know I'm I'm still dealing with this me- minor medical issue, which is now extended to almost six months. So uh, I still have to deal with that, and you know, watch what I eat because I ate a Slim Jim, like a mini Slim Jim that I got from work, and like it just caused a, like a, a a breakout, like. It, it, like in between my thighs like it was just fucking horrible Uh-oh. and so <laughs> I had to take a, a, a Benadryl to calm it down and I'm like being a literal zombie rolling the cart around at Michael's 
you know, with the go backs and stuff like that. Oh, fucking go backs! That that yeah. that term brings me back to CBS. <laughs> um, that just made me go back to my job at yeah. CBS. Speaking of going back, well, you don't want uh, you don't want to talk about your fiery loins any further. No, I don't. <laughs> okay. uh, we could talk about other uh, fiery things. True. Yes. Yeah, so um, HBO. Or Netflix, rather. Yeah, we watched the Netflix uh, three-part documentary series yeah, that they, came out this year. They had a documentary that they recently put out called Woodstock 99. Trainwreck. Trainwreck, which I thought wasn't the most original title. No, it sounds like they took a page or ripped off Todd in the Shadows. Yeah, really. <laughs> you know, like train records. Train records of Woodstock 99 <laughs> Festival. <laughs> So like this is like Woodstock for some for whatever reason Woodstock '94, which is the lesser talked about Woodstock, and Woodstock '99 have always been fascinating to me because everybody knows about the original Woodstock in 1969 that was in like Syracuse, New York. I don't remember where, but um, that the big farm basically, and um, it was put it was slapped together. Yeah, the one that was on at an Air Force base. Yeah. No, I'm talking about the original Woodstock. Oh, the Woodstock, 1969. 1969, okay. I thought you said 99. But, yeah, like, it was put together by this guy, um, fuck's his name. It should be on the top of my head because I've done a whole, I did a whole YouTube video, like, way before this. Michael Lang. Yeah, Michael Lang. Before this documentary ever came out, like, three years, and, uh, yes, I am heavily patting myself on the back right now for being ahead of the curve for once. Um, I, like three years ago, I did a doc, a little mini documentary on my YouTube channel about the Woodstock 94 and 99 music festivals. And, um, so yeah, anyway, this Michael Lang guy threw together this festival in 1969, got all these big names at the time, Hendrix, Credence Clearwater Revival, um, a bunch of, bunch of hippie bands that didn't really stand the test of time, like Canned Heat and all that, and... Uh, the guy who sang, I feel like a motherless child, whoever the fuck that was. Um, that, the 69 festival is pretty interesting in and of itself, but I mean, that was a, a <laughs> if there was ever a bellwether to show, like, how society has changed in, th- how society can change in 30 years, it's Woodstock 69 versus Woodstock 99. Yeah. Definitely. 69, a bunch of fucking hippies, peace-loving, do- yeah. doobie-smoking. Gener- chill. Chill, generally respectful, you know, probably a lot of fucking going on. Uh, this was before STDs were really, they like... They would willingly work together. Right. This is before, like, AIDS existed and STDs weren't... Mm-hmm. The bad ones weren't as common. They still had them, definitely, but... So they were definitely uh, swingers. <laughs> yeah, but then then you flash forward to um, ninety nine, and it just it's it, it's insanity, it's absolute chaos. As this Rolling Stone article put it, that <laughs> that was the day the nineties died. <laughs> I I like to say that Woodstock ninety nine is kind of a good example of why. We, as a society, we kind of naturally moved away from the, and I, I'm not trying to sound like a whatever right now. I'm just saying, if you watch the festival, it just was what it was. It seems like societally, 
music and culture has moved away from the white male frat boy kind of catering to that and and more towards like a more i i don't i don't see i don't know if that's necessarily the way i would put it um when it comes to like woodstock 99 what i think of is in a lot of ways yeah it is definitely the end of the what end of an era there was a little bit more of a focus on you know the the frat boy uh uh type of uh audience member but this was like they've mentioned in the documentary this is also a time where things are changing rapidly in the music industry and you were having you know these boy bands that were all of a sudden becoming massively popular so i think what this wound up doing is it caused this rift between certain subsections of music fans so you had people who were into the rock and the metal or the rap and they didn't understand why anyone would listen to Backstreet Boys or NSYNC. And then it became this sort of us versus them sort of thing. And when Limp Biscuit is doing like break stuff, well, in their mind, they are also breaking what they feel is some sort of uh, disease that's come over uh, music in general. So a lot there's a lot of this uh, just fighting this this uh, inner angst. When you look at the video footage, like it's sh- it, it's not when Limp Biscuit played break stuff did everyone just decide they wanted to turn into these oh, exactly. douchebags. I'm no, it I'm was just like saying that, the entire, yeah. that was the culture. Yeah. That was yeah. the culture at the time. Because Before, I'm because I'm saying that if you look at music festivals nowadays, you're just not seeing anything near what no, represents. You're Woodstock not seeing 99. that at Coachella. Coachella is closer to uh, Woodstock '69. Uh, you're, yeah, you're not right, you're not seeing it at Coachella. You're not seeing it at Bonnaroo. You're not seeing no. at Lollapalooza the new ones. You you don't you're not seeing this very male white male driven angry got to get my yeah. rage out. Like you're just not yeah. seeing it anymore because the culture has changed and is not catering to that demographic anymore I, for better or for worse I don't know I mean it's it's uh, it's it depends on the person I guess I'm sure there's some people out there who are pissed off that you know music isn't really catering to that kind of vibe anymore and then there's some people who's happy that it's not catering to that vibe anymore but in the 90s especially the late 90s they were definitely catering to that audience and that vibe and those uh, are the people that resonate with it now I will say that um, were the, there probably a lot of douchebag college people there who just went because it was the biggest party of the century? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it had who, nothing to do with the music. Who didn't even give a shit about corn before they went? Who didn't yeah. give a shit about Rage Against the Machine before they went? Yeah, yeah absolutely. But, uh, you know, again, I, that just was a culture. And, you know... I'm surprised Rage Against Machine, being such a politically kind of anti-capitalist band, I'm surprised they even did that festival. They probably did it because they figured, oh, we'll reach a lot of people this way with our message. Because you know they were like proselytizing in between songs. Well, also, I think Woodstock, uh, John Scher and uh, Michael Lang, they were trying to promote Woodstock 99 as also a message uh, uh, show. Like like Woodstock '69 was supposed to be kind of a political message, you know, peace and love type sort of stuff, and so he was trying to put a spotlight on, on an issue, which was uh, uh, you know 
I think it was like mass shootings and stuff like that. Yeah, gun violence. Yeah, gun violence. It was like after Columbine. Yeah. So, um, but that was very shoehorned in, and just didn't really feel like it was naturally uh, placed into the the set of of Woodstock '99. It was just thrown in at the end. Well, another thing about Woodstock '99 is that Michael Lang, the guy who who just completely lost his fucking lunch at after the first Woodstock, I mean, he he, yeah. he went into massive debt. The concert lost all this money. Yeah, people were sneaking in the fence. The fences. Oh, you mean Woodstock '94? It happened in '69 too. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm the expert here, Mike. You know, let, <laughs> let the experts speak. Um, I'm just joking. Um. But anyway, so yeah, um, he lost his. He ate his. His lunch was eaten by everyone else for sixty nine, and then for the twenty fifth anniversary Woodstock ninety four, he wanted to do it again, but he didn't want to go broke this time. So he had sponsors like Pepsi. So you'd see mm-hmm. Pepsi on all the on the cups with the little Woodstock uh, bird on it or whatever, and you know mm-hmm. there was all the sponsorship. That's why. Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails was reluctant about doing the 94 festival because, you know, he thought it'd be this big corporate thing, which it kind of was, and he still did it, and their performance from the Woodstock 94 concert was fucking epic. They have the full performance on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Everyone in the band was covered in mud, and it, like, just it just fit their aesthetic because they were already kind of... They already kind of, like, had that mud people look when they would play no- shows normally. Yeah. 94 had a great lineup. I mean, you had Primus on there. Uh, you had... Um, Green Day, you had Red Hot Chili Peppers, like when they were in their prime. Although I would still argue they were in their prime in '99 as well. But um, anyway, I'll get to the lineup later because I do just want to like breeze through the lineup of '99 and comment on it or whatever. But anyway, basically, Michael Lang for the '99 festival, he wanted to celebrate the 30th anniversary, but this time he wanted to do it right. This time he didn't want to lose money because even in the '94 concert, he lost. He ended up. Uh, I think they either broke even or they lost money. So this time he wanted it to be a profitable venture. And there were other issues, you know, with Woodstock 94 like, like that were similar to like 69 where people were sneaking in through the fence for free uh, uh, as well as a lot of other problems involving the fact that weather just came in and just took a massive dump on the the festival yeah the inclement rain turned uh a lot of the grassy field into this because you know you got thousands of people walking around on on i mean even if even if it was a normally healthy field i mean you have that much weight of people constantly stepping it's it's basically like like rotating the soil around and breaking it up and making it loose and you add rain to that equation then you end up with these huge mudslides which looked really fun but um probably not like the safest thing to be no. doing and then eventually the bands just started getting pelted with all these mud pies but yeah. i mean that pales into comparison what happened oh, with woodstock 99 i don't know if john share was involved was he involved with woodstock 94 as well i, I think i don't I think, think he so. might have been i think he was the guy that was brought in because michael lang's like okay i'm tired of losing money i'm bringing you in you know make this thing profitable I thought he did 94 as well. And they're like, you're doing it again? Because I thought I remember hearing something like that. Uh, where a my, lot of people might... were working with John Share. They were like, you got to be kidding me. We're trying to do this again? Like okay. it didn't work the last time around. 
Well, no, no, no matter the case, the point for 99 was make money. This has to make money for once. Like, well, this- I mean, 94 should have been a, a harbinger of sorts. Like, it should have been, like, a sign that in the 90s, this just isn't going to work. So I'll just read from uh, Wikipedia here. Woodstock 99 was conceived and executed as a commercial venture with dozens of corporate sponsors and Mm -hmm. and included the presence of vendor malls and modern accoutrements such as ATMs and email stations. Advanced tickets for the event were priced at $150, equivalent to $240 in 2021, which for what you're getting, that's not horrible, plus service charges. And at the time, considered costly for a festival of this type. I mean, if 150 was for all three days, that's not horrible, even for no. 99. I mean, that's not the worst. No. I mean, considering the lineup of the The bands. problem, though, came from the fact that um, Michael Lang started to cut costs. Because yeah, we'll get, he, we're, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah. So... Um, there were about 400,000 attendees, a total of 186,983 tickets were sold, according to reports shortly after the festival, which, quote, translates into a gross take of $28,800,000 at the time, approximately. Ticket sales were advertised as being capped at 250000 the capacity of the venue. It has been estimated that ticket sales were worth $60 million in revenue, but that number appears to have been based on believing that there were 400,000 paid attendees. And it has been suggested that the ticket sales were underreported to avoid extra contractual payouts to the hosting community. Um, perhaps the discrepancy stems from the deal between Woodstock 99 promoters and the Griffiths Local Development Corporation, which that's the airbase that they had the location on, which is... We might as well talk about the Griffiths Air Force Base because if you think about it, it is a pretty uh, decent uh, potential setting for a, a, a big concert or having a lot of people. But at the same time, it's not the best because you have all this tarmac, you have all these other things. It, it just is something that yeah, it, it's something that provides enough space, but it's not very practical. So there was a lot of extra, probably, money, like millions of dollars that had to be put into uh, uh, making this space, this abandoned Air Force base, into the Woodstock uh, venue. I mean, why they thought in the middle of summer having a, a festival on a hot-ass tarmac that yeah. is absorbing heat, not repelling heat. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had the, All the shade trees had been removed prior yep. to the festival. I mean, just because it was an Air Force base and they didn't want tr- like a bunch of trees around because airplanes yeah. were flying in and out and shit. Um, just a really bad idea. Um, and, and, and it gets worse because of the cost-cutting that happened with Michael Lang where he would hire outside people and well, these they vendors so, they sold to the, handle yeah they sold the vendor rights which meant yeah. that the vendors could essentially charge whatever they wanted and there was nothing the organizers could do about it and and price gouge they did i mean as especially as conditions got more desperate i mean water went from what $4 a bottle all the way up until the end, it was like $14 for a fucking yeah. bottle of water. Something that would have cost like 50 cents in 1999, you yeah. know. 
So about the- and they also cut costs in other ways, uh, you know, with sanitation, and that really came back and bit them hard. Uh, as and water, the, not just uh, you know the the vendors providing water, but like the fountains, like they had fountains, but they did not estimate properly the demand for the water from those fountains. Yeah, I mean, how can you really? get a good estimate when, you know, reportedly 400,000 people showing up, you're expecting 250,000 people. How do you really get a good estimate on, like, how much stuff you need? You know, you really can't fathom, like, that amount of people. Well, I mean, with something like that, when you realize the venue, when you realize that it's extremely hot, it's in the middle of the summer, these... uh, uh, festival goers are going to be on this hot, hot tarmac and they're going to be completely beat on by the sun i think you would just factor in maybe we'll have a few extra uh uh water fountains just in case because i don't think the water fountains probably cost them that much so it, it's one of those things where i think they should have factored in uh that more and that might have helped things. And Although it probably would have still not uh, ultimately prevented what happened, because if they didn't fix the sanitation issue, then having more water fountains really wouldn't necessarily uh, make things that much better. On top of the heat, which is which was a huge problem. Uh, they made the genius move to have the two stages 1.5 miles between yes. each other. So you yes. had to walk 1.5 miles from one stage to the other stage to for the main stages in these, you know, boiling hot runways. Yeah. And uh, the Baltimore Sun reported that halfway through the weekend, quote, more than 700 had been treated for heat exhaustion, dehydration, which yeah. given the number of people, I mean, that's that's not that bad of a percentage. Yeah, but still, I mean, it got so bad that they interviewed a paramedic who who worked at the festival, and he just flat out quit. I like how I like. <laughs> it was just like I'm I'm done, not doing this anymore. I like how they're throwing shade on this random dude that I've never heard of, B Bijou Phillips. Uh, it said, um, "Deactivated hangers provided some of the only shade, so huge crowds gathered at the emerging artist stage and had to endure sets by artists like Bijou Phillips simply to escape the sun." Uh-huh. Like, damn, what, what did Bijou Phillips ever do to you, uh, fucking Baltimore Sun? Um, Maybe he sucks. But yeah, so the water problem with, with about two hundred and twenty thousand people in attendance and another ten thousand working at the festival, Woodstock '99 temporarily made the festival site the third most populated city in New York State. Now imagine turning off that city's water supply with temperatures hovering from the high eighties to, in some accounts, hitting the one hundreds. Water became a necessity. Now, being from Florida, uh, being in the high eighties, like I can, yeah. I can tolerate that. Like, yeah. that's that's not, but. It's it's even hotter because of the location. Yeah. Um, so water became a necessity. Unfortunately, most festival goers didn't heed the warning to bring an adequate supply themselves. Well, they well they they couldn't. They, they, did, they, they confiscated. They, couldn't. they confiscated the water at the gate. Rolling Stone. You don't do your yeah. research. Yeah. They <laughs> they confiscated almost pretty much everything that could be bought inside. Basically, so if you had 
something on you that you could buy inside, like food or water. They confiscated that, including the fucking water. Like, what a bunch Which, of... Which, that's not bags. what happened in 69. Like, that was a whole, like, peace and love. Share your doobies. Share your doobie brownies. You know, share your water. Do you whatever. You gotta figure, uh, we had way more of an ozone layer in 69 than we did in 99. Yeah. I mean, my dad would always tell me about spending all day at the beach in the 70s and... Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's like, he's like, son, it, it was just, it was just different. The what, like the sun was just different back then. Like you could spend all day at the beach and not be this baked lobster when you were done. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they, the $4 price tag for the water, there were some free fountains, but the lines to use those often resembled a Disneyland ride. Yeah. Cause they didn't have enough free fountains. So, also, some, they, go, go ahead. Some were smashed in frustration, causing minor yeah. flooding in the area. The situation was so bad. After the festival, lawyers for some festival goers threatened to sue organiz- organizers for negligence. I mean, to say mm-hmm. the least, negligence. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so There were also security issues because they didn't really hire a proper security team. They just hired a bunch of teenagers or college students. They basically hired volunteers. Yeah, that had no experience doing proper security and like they had this one guy in the documentary who's like talking about how he was working security there and one one kid came up to him and was like hey man like where can what can that that security shirt do for you and he's like oh man it can do anything you can go anywhere you want on the premises if you have one of these and the kid's like oh can i buy it from me he's like yeah 200 bucks and he's like i sold the shirt and just went and got another one or whatever yeah, and it's like that kind of and that happened happen. more. Yeah, it happened more than once apparently because there were you know people who just wanted to you know get to see this the the uh, celebrities uh, backstage you know that kind of stuff. Um, From my little documentary I did years ago, um, I was doing research that said some of the security guards would just at certain points they would see that it was really popping off and they just take off their security shirt and join the party, <laughs> like. <laughs> that's that's not surprising considering they're not experienced security guards. They were they weren't really getting paid all that much either. I they think. weren't either. But that's the thing. Like even if they were, like I I think at a certain point they would just be like I I just want to I just want to join the party. I I don't I don't want to I don't want to do this anymore. Cuz it really would also get to the point where there wasn't enough of them. So they would just feel like, well, it doesn't matter what I do anyway, so I might as well just join the fray. So I'll go into kind of like the lineup of that. Uh, also, kind of, t- and one more thing about like the you know the organization and stuff. I, I did bring up sanitation, and that was a huge, huge problem because they didn't really have a crew that would clean up or really do any of that. They just assumed that the festival goers would would clean up after themselves which is absolutely asinine and stupid in 1999 to assume that all these college kids are are just going to be like yeah I'll, I'll pick up after myself and other people and we'll work together and we'll clean up the trash no <laughs> It led to that scene in the in the documentary where this gal who was at Woodstock '69, who was a part of the committee or whatever, who was working on this festival, 
and she's riding around on i think she's the mother of uh, i think i think i might have been pilar um she's some she was uh, the mother of, of one of the yeah lisa law yeah she's riding around on this moped with like trash bags and she's just and trying tossing the trash bags yeah. at people being like you know do your part let's recycle and they're just like fuck you i paid 250 dollars to be here that's your job yeah which i mean there's i don't know i mean yeah i i, I wouldn't just see why i'm at a festival though i feel less bad if i do have to end up doing that because it's like you know what these douchebags are charging me for every single fucking thing i do and they still do that to this day i went to rockville a mm-hmm. few years ago and um i mean it was like a fucking Philly, a shitty ass Philly cheesesteak, like the worst Philly cheesesteak I've ever had and fries was like something like 25 bucks or something. Yeah. And, you know, it gets to a certain point to where like, and like the little makeshift sink thing they had, which is basically this water reservoir with like a pump on the bottom. And when you stepped on the pump, water would come out of this little spigot at the top. Uh Towards the end of the night, all of those ran out of water, so you couldn't wash your hands. Um. Yeah. So I mean, festivals. I personally don't like them. I've come mm-hmm. after going to the last one. I was like, you know what? I'm good. I'm good on festivals. I think. Um, unless it's really convenient or I somehow get a free ticket, like I'm not. I'm not doing it again because like it just they just suck. I mean, they fucking <laughs> suck. There's so many goddamn people. Like you're either right up front and you have to like. Basically, like, when the band on the, say, the northern stage is playing, you got to go to the southern stage, and that's the only way you get up front, because then, because they alternate between the two stages, Mm -hmm. and so by the time the crowd comes to the stage where you've been waiting, you've secured a good spot, but now so many people are jockeying for positions to get up front, you're now getting pushed against the security rail, because everyone's... You know, with that amount of people, it's just this natural force. And you just amplify that. Yeah, and then... The, with the, the Woodstock 99 because yeah. of the sheer amount of people. And then the band starts playing, and then people go even more ape shit. And uh, yeah. it, the, the, the being up front sucks at, at, at a festival. Now, if it's like a stadium show and you paid your money to have that one specific seat that belongs to you, that's fine. That's all well and good. But being up front at a, a general admission festival, it fucking sucks. But then your only other option is you have to be in the very back where the band is so small that you're like, shit, I could watch this band on DVD or, yeah. or on YouTube. And it would but be you this- couldn't you couldn't be in the middle. I yeah, guess. I mean, being in the middle like that's that's a suckiness of its own unique way, yeah. because like that's usually where mosh pits break out is in the yeah. middle. Yeah, you're um, right. So you're definitely going to get shoved. Um, even if you're trying to avoid it, it, it just sounds awful. It is, and and like, and lit- then you're hot and you're sweaty, and you, you have to pay all this extra ridiculous prices for uh, soda or food. Oh, if you're and, if you're a beer drinker, forget about it. You're yeah. fucked. Like, I think beer was eight, like eight bucks a bottle, you and that's know? like not even counting like the bathroom sort of you know situation too. I was that I there'd was, be so many people. So there'd probably be lines and... Well, the bathroom situation at Rockville was fine. They had a shit ton yeah. of port- <clears throat> porta-potties and, you know, I only... Yeah. 
I, I made sure to take a shit before I left because uh, <laughs> like, I, I am only pissing in there. I am not about to take a dump <laughs> in a porta potty. I'm sorry. That is my life goal to never have to take a dump in a porta potty. <laughs> but if you're at a three day Woodstock festival, you're gonna have to eventually do that. And eventually, the porta potty started overflowing. It got so bad. That's that's what I'm <clears throat> saying about the sanitation issues and the they... water mixed with the shit and yep. all these these fucking plebeian dumbasses thought that it was just mud. Yeah, they, didn't. they were playing around in shit. Yes, they were throwing shit at each other, covering themselves in shit. And then, you know, add that that to the baked baked sun. I mean, the mm-hmm. smell of that place was probably yeah. god-awful. Um, yeah, it was horrifying. And then, on top of that, the because of the sanitation issues of the porta-potties... And, you know, the, the fecal matter just spreading everywhere, it eventually contaminated the, the water fountains. And so that led to people getting sick with bacterial infections from uh, the water. In fact, there, there was, I think, uh, there were people for like the health, I, I forgot exactly who, what their designation is, but it was people who were sent to a venue to test uh, the water and, and to see whether or not it, it's uh, safe to drink. And they got uh, samples from Woodstock 99 at this time and they left them overnight and the guy comes into the room where all these samples are and it's, it's you could already smell the bacteria. Like yeah. it was just so out of control. Like you could see it clearly, just mold and just craziness. Just overnight. And people were drinking this. They were drinking this water. And they got what Michael, or what, I don't know why I used your full name just then, what Mike uh, said when he was doing the sound check today before we started recording, uh, they got Trench Mouth. Yes, Sarah. She was a Woodstock uh, 99 concert goer. And she went to Woodstock 99 as sort of a rebellious sort of thing, you know, to go because she was she lived kind of a sheltered life with her with her parents. And she went to Woodstock 99 and she kind of had to lie to her parents about, you know, how things are going, like calling her on the payphone, calling her mom on the payphone and be like, everything's great. It's wonderful. There's, There's nothing. There's nothing wrong. Everything's fine. And And she's like take it part in drugs and alcohol and so on and then she ultimately got trench mouth and trench the- mouth is a painful form of gum swelling the mouth normally yeah. contains a balance of different bacteria trench mouth occurs when there is too much pathologic bacteria the gums become infected and develop painful ulcers yeah. so that's from drinking doo-doo water yeah and god knows what in what other ways Drink. You'd be like, I didn't even get a t. A lot of people at Woodstock '99 is like, I didn't even get a T-shirt from Woodstock '99. I just got trench mouth. Yeah. <laughs> so let's look at it, look at the lineup here. Uh, I'm going to comment on a, a band if something um, special or extraordinary happened during their performance. Like, obviously, we're going to get to Limp Bizkit and all that. Um, but on top j- of the money giveaway, just as <laughs> yeah, just as the music nerd that I am, I I, I just want to just breeze through these real quickly. So on the first, because they had a pre-show on Thursday, but I'm not going to talk about that. I'm just going to get to the the three main days. The first day, July 23rd, which was a Friday, 
the first band that opened up was James Brown. And in the documentary, they had this whole thing about James Brown had this thing where he refused to play yeah. until unless he was paid in full before he got on stage. Uh, and- I mean, that's an omen. But there were omens even prior to that, like the um, champagne bottle the, being broken and they yeah. couldn't break it. Yeah, to, they tried to break a champagne bottle to christen uh, Woodstock would ninety nine. Yeah, and the mayor couldn't break the bottle for shit, and the, it took them like <laughs> yeah. ten different t- times <laughs> yeah. before they finally broke it. But um, dude, after doing that smash room for our music video shoot Wednesday, some glass is really well tempered, and uh, yeah. I definitely uh, tried to smash a few glasses that would not break. But anyway, yeah, James Brown opening up the show, which I thought was funny because it's like, you know, the the median age there had to have been like 25, you know, like that. Yeah, there's a lot of people who like, who the the fuck is James Brown? Or they might know who James Brown is, but they're like, I don't give a shit about James Brown. Like, I I wouldn't, especially at at that point in his career where he's like, pretty much washed up and like just kind of like a shell of like the performer he Mm -hmm. used to be when he was like you know in his prime like eventually he just decided to just do it yeah he just did yeah because he knew what it what it would have meant to say no to four hundred thousand screaming fans i mean you can't deny that level of energy it's a level of energy that i i will never probably experience but I, I've played some big crowds, and yeah, it's it. You do kind of forget what you're playing for a few seconds, yeah. and I and I think that's what led to to some of these performers maybe acting a little more wild and so, crazy than they would normally. Having to follow James Brown, they have G Love and the Special Sauce, and um, they had this song that I actually downloaded from uh, their watch because I. I'm a fucking nerd, and uh, I remember buying the Woodstock VHS tape, the ninety Woodstock '99 VHS tape, uh, when I was a kid, and um, I just thought the song was really quirky, and um, I so I downloaded it or whatever. Um, but by the way, interesting little side note on the uh, Woodstock '99 VHS tape, um, they did some really creative editing. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is all I would say about. It. They did some really creative editing to. Uh, avoid the chaos i mean there were some performances where you couldn't help but to see the fires and shit yeah but they didn't um in fact some of the interviews that they had for this documentary they got from that vhs tape because i noticed i noticed a lot of the interactions with the fans were the same clips that were on the vhs tape um Mm. and and it was i thought it was kind of lame too because they only had one performance by each artist like i guess the standout performance or whatever um they didn't. They didn't give you the whole set. Um, they. I wish they'd come out. Well, I guess box sets are a thing of the past now. But um, I wish they'd officially come out with like the full. Well, I mean, they, they did that for Woodstock '69. I think they did. A, yeah, a film. Yeah, they did do it for '69, but they didn't do it for '94, '99. Um, you can find it on YouTube though. It's leaked on there because they had a pay per view of uh, the full Woodstock. Now that's something I would have paid for back in the day. I, I to- think they had the full. They had it live to an MTV. Yeah, wasn't that also the well, case? Well, no, no. Um, they had somebody. Co- they were covering the Woodstock Festival, but they weren't showing like the full performances because that was like a pay-per-view special kind of thing. Uh, So then you had G-Love and the Special Sauce and they had this song called Cold Beverage and he's basically just talking about like how he likes refreshing beverages in the song and like the bit, you couldn't have picked a lamer band to follow up James Brown. Then you have Jamiroquai who's like this white British dude who does good like funk music. He had that song um, 
Virtual can- Insanity. Virtual Insanity, but yeah, that song Canned Heat in the Napoleon Dynamite movie where Napoleon uh-huh. Dynamite has his big dance number, that's Jamiroquai. Then they had that uh, alt-rock band Live after that. I alone love you, I alone tempt you, yeah! And uh, the lead singer, you know, he's kind of these hippie guys. They did the 94 concert, too, and by 99, they're... Their their kind of fame was waning. That they really peaked in the mid '90s as like uh-huh. a, a a post grunge kind of band where they weren't quite grunge, but they uh, weren't quite mainstream rock. Um, and he had this he he had this the audience chant like he took like fucking ten minutes out of their set to get the audience to chant love, and then he'd point the mic to the audience and be like love. So they were trying to start off the event with this hippie uh kumbaya energy then they had cheryl crow after live yeah and they mentioned in the documentary kind of the the male kind of chauvinism Show us your tits. yeah and uh there was one guy that they had they were interviewing which was kind of nice because like um this was actually a clip from the woodstock vhs tape um, they kind of to kind of showed you that not all the dudes there were these fucking idiots. He's yeah, like, he's like, yeah, you know, everyone's in the crowds, like, oh, show us your tits, and I'm over here, like, uh, how about you show me your brain, dude? Uh, so I thought that was uh, that, that was pretty. There were yeah, there were some people that were interviewed, like the concert goers, uh, uh, like Keith, for instance, and his brother, the guy with the mullet. Oh yeah, that guy looked like he <laughs> sniffed a little too much glue growing up. <laughs> yeah. He looks like somebody you probably run into over uh, somewhere in Jacksonville. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> d- yeah, man. You know that. You hit the nail on the head there, went, Mike. That is absolutely <laughs> someone you'd see on the west side of Jacksonville. Um, <laughs> then you had DMX after Cheryl Crow. Um, I loved how Cheryl Crow, though, uh, fired it back at the audience. I thought her, you know? her comeback was a little weak. She's like, honey, you don't pay me enough to see my tits or something like that. And it's like, well, oh, okay. I, I thought, I mean, for her, like, she's not really the kind of artist that's probably going to come up with some really crazy, savage retort. So for her to even actually do that like, in, in some semblance or capacity... I think that was kind of cool. Yeah. Because she could have easily just buffed it off and just not not done anything. Like, Jewel just quit. Jewel just walked off the stage. Jewel was so fucking hot back then. Anyway, um, then you had DMX. And the funny thing is, like, if you look at this lineup and you compare it to um, when they were trying to do that god-awful Woodstock 2019 festival that never ended up happening, thank fuck, um... The amount of rappers, it, for as mm-hmm. big as rap was getting at the time, the amount of rappers on this fe- festival lineup were really short. Like, they, a very small list. And I think the only reason DMX even got on there is because he had, you know, more aggressive, that more aggressive <laughs> sound in his music. Well, I'm going to have to edit that out. That was quite the cough there, Mike. <laughs> or throat I was, clear. I, was just, I was just clearing my throat, but yeah, sorry. Um, anyway, like... Um, so, you know, he did his set, got everyone riled up. Then the Offspring came up, and they, they had a kick-ass performance um, I've seen. Offspring is just kick-ass, period. Yeah. And they really got on the crowd side with, like, the inflatables of, like, boy bands and just beating the shit out of them. Yeah, but they, they were they were at their prime. In 99, they had released Amer- yeah. Americana, which was, like, their biggest album to this day. And yeah, it's um, a great album. Like, they were at their prime, so, like, you know, the audience was excited for them, and they... They set the audience up for corn, which um, 
to this day, when Corn opens up their set with Blind, and Corn also '99 was a big year for them. They had Follow the Leader that they released in '98, yeah. which was uh, one of their bigger albums. Maybe not their biggest, but most classic Corn fans will point to yeah. either that album or maybe one of their earlier albums, like their self-titled. and like the interviews. The interviews with Jonathan Davis on here were really cool because he talked about what it felt like. Yeah, you know, being in that moment and how initially it was it was very overwhelming like yeah. it, it, it was really to the point where he he was almost terrified i was surprised they got him to to be on that documentary that was a big get for them because mm-hmm. you know corn corn is still pretty big even yeah. in 2022 not maybe not they definitely not as socially relevant as they were back then i mean a lot of the the the, the gets that they got for this festival artist wise i mean these a lot of these guys were like at the top of their game this was when rock music was still relevant back when people mm-hmm. still cared about rock music so you had a lot of ba- bands that i personally still really like and then uh bush ended up closing out the night on the yeah. east east stage and in the documentary they were talking about how like man it's you know we felt so bad for bush having to follow corn but i mean they i watched their performance the audience were still digging it i mean well yeah because he did a great job really getting the crowd uh mellowed down yeah and and you know creating uh, an atmosphere that enabled them to appreciate his style even and though for at what that, it was. even though at that point alternative rock was kind of dying yeah. out and new metal was coming in as the new hot form of rock uh-huh. Because uh, Bush had definitely peaked as well by '99, yeah. um, they were they were definitely not as big as they were. But yeah, I would say that corn set was probably the peak of the entire. Yeah, show. yeah, probably. Unless I see another band, I'm here on here. I'm reminded because of. that that I mean, just watching that footage because uh, on Netflix they actually had it in 4K and they also had like you know the surround sound and everything, and I have a really high end uh, surround sound uh, audio system now. And it was it was very it was it was really cool. Like just the little bits that I saw, like I it it's not necessarily the same as actually being there, but with the advancements and audio technology, yeah, in particular, you get pretty damn close. You get pretty damn close. Yeah, when you watch a live show. I, I could tell you as someone who's seen Corn like two or three times live myself. Um, their sound is so dialed in when they yeah. play like they they know like whoever their sound engineer is like they have their sound dialed in that bass their yeah. ba- their low end the rhythm and all that the drums and the bass that shit hits you in the fucking chest when you see corn yeah. like they they have their sound dialed in perfectly and it sounds like they have captured pretty much the same sound that you hear on on their albums it's not one of those uh bands where you listen to them live and you're like what the fuck is this because there are certain bands like that where you're like what (laughs) so on the west stage on that same day we had spitfire who i've never heard of oleander they were kind of they had a small pop in the late 90s with this song the reason which was pretty good it's the reason why I feel this way. Mm. Anyway. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, the Umbilical Brothers, never heard of them. Mo, 
Uh, I think that was an R&B singer. What song do you remember the most from Bush? Because for me, it's a mouth. Because it was on the soundtrack for an American werewolf in Paris. Uh, Bush uh, comes to mind is Machine Head, Everything Zen. Mm -hmm. Everything Zen, I still think, is a really cool song. Because it's like one of the only alternative rock songs that I can think of that uses a slide guitar. That like crazy like slide Mm -hmm. sound or whatever. That's that's like, you know, like... You hear slide guitar all the time in country music and blues and shit, but you never hear it in like an alternative rock song. And I yeah. thought, and I thought that was super cool. Their use of the slide guitar. Uh, I like, I like Bush pretty good. I'm just not a huge. They're, they're, <coughs> some of their. Well, sh- I'm not either. I mean, <laughs> I do like that song, Mouth though. Yeah. Nothing hurts like your mouth. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, actually, Mo is not an R&B band. They're in a jam rock band. Ooh, I'm good. Oh, okay. Good on that. I am good on that. <laughs> You had Lit, who had a you know a nice little pop in '99 with their song "My Own Worst Enemy," um, but then they kind of fizzled out after that. Buck Cherry, who um, went on to release the infamous song "Crazy Bitch" that I have to hear at karaoke every now and then. Um, the Roots, which be- infamously became... What is that song, Crazy Bitch, anyway? What was that again? Hey, you're a crazy bitch, but you fuck so good, I'm all over it when I oh, dream okay. of doing yeah. you... All- yeah, that song, that fucking... Ugh. Uh, you better believe everyone in Duval County was eating that song up. That's it, the county I live Almost in, Almost sounds like something that Weird Al would parody. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he'd have to, he'd have to get really colorful with his with his synonyms or his uh, <laughs> yeah i know his switch arounds yeah the roots which uh became jimmy fallon's uh, house band for the uh, tonight show yeah and then you had the insane clown posse <laughs> they were talking about the roots like uh, they talked about why uh gene john is john is he a part of the roots um i don't think so oh that's a different guy he was part the roots of is the drummer uh the guy Qu- on, quest uh, love quest love yeah Wycliffe Jean was part of the Fugees. Yeah. So Insane Clown Posse uh, apparently had this money giveaway. I didn't know about this. They <laughs> they created a little mayhem during their set at Woodstock 99. Performing on the East Stage on Friday night before George Clinton's Parliament Funkadelic, ICP was the first act to incite the crowd by, quote, throwing $100 bills into the audience and watching gleefully while a melee ensued. Uh, considering how expensive water was at the fest and how personal pan pizzas were 12 bucks, it's not surprising those Benjamins created such a ruckus. And so now we're getting into uh, day well, two. Well, I mean, also, you have, you know, all these drunk and high uh, teens, college age uh, uh, people, and they're also in the sweltering heat. So, yeah, like, it, it was just a. a uh, recipe for disaster from the very beginning. Yeah, because you could already kind of see the signs of something really uh, not uh, good from the very first day. Like you could kind of see that this could easily just spiral completely, totally out of control into just fiery oblivion. <laughs> oh, well, well said, Mike. Um. Also, during the ICP performance, uh, I remember from watching the video, they had these huge, like, like massive, like, containers full of Fago, the the soda. Oh, yeah. That's, pop- that's popular yeah. up in uh, Michigan. or And now they're, it's made its way down to Florida now. I've still never tried a Fago, but, um, yeah, like, I, uh, I, I think... I went to Michigan, and I... Because my dad lives down there, and I don't, I don't think I ever tried a Fago down there, so... Well... Maybe it's a certain 
parts of Michigan. They're they they the the group was big on Fago. They reference Fago in their songs yeah. all the time, and so they had these two leaders like, and they do these at their normal shows as well. They would literally they have these two leaders of Fago that they they open up, shake them up, and kick them into the audience or trampoline them into the audience, and uh, so. I mean, at an ICP show, you're expected that you're going to be drenched in Fago. Um, that's just that's just what they do. I mean, if you book them at your venue, like that yeah. comes with the territory. I'm just imagining that on a hot, sweltering day on the fucking tarmac, you get well, drenched in Fago, and then it dries, and it's just sticky. And I believe hot. they use diet Fago because diet doesn't have any sugar in it, so it's oh, okay. not as sticky. I believe that's yeah. how they get around that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but Jesus, I mean, you consider like a normal venue, like there's expensive equipment and stuff in the back with like the mixing board and shit. It's like, yeah. what if a two liter flies back there and yeah, I, th- like that? That's like some, what if it? What if the two liter flies somewhere and hits somebody in the face? <laughs> right. If they don't open it good enough and it's it's <laughs> yeah. sealed up and it's just like you know three pound brick flying at you <laughs> yeah. but yeah that, that, they didn't they didn't mention the fago incident and, and it was like they they got so like wet and i guess it was so hot like their makeup was pretty much all the way like off their faces by the Ooh. time they got them playing because like yeah it was I like bet. yeah um fun fact they had the emerging artist stage on friday moby was the uh closing act he had oh. he had a big year in 99 as well with his album play 99 was a huge year for not only music but movies too like there was some mm-hmm. like legendary movies that came out in 99 as well that was probably like one of the more interesting years like of, of i would say one of my favorite films from that year that i watch quite often is the mummy with brendan fraser i have this whole audiobook that talks about 99 being like the most epic year in movies couldn't they like cite all the like um fight club and american history x Although American, mm-hmm. American History X might have been 98. Anyway. So again, then we get to day two Saturday. Um, was Kid Rock on on day two? Uh, let's see. Was he? Um, I don't know. We'll find out. Okay. Oh, yeah. He was the second act. Wow. I can't believe he was only the second act. Because, again, 99, big year yeah. for Kid Rock. Uh, Devil Without a Cause. Co- or, yeah, it was Devil Without a Cause uh, was his breakout album now i don't know if he released that album before or after woodstock but if he released it before i'm surprised they put him on so early in the day but um the opening band was the tragically hip which to our canadian listeners out there um big band in canada not so big in america and and, uh, that did not turn out well and the audience (laughs) uh the audience let let them know that um I love how in Rolling Stone they call them the meathead crowd. I'm like, yeah, that that is, yeah, that is pretty accurate. So when the meathead crowd wasn't hectoring ladies on stage, they were getting their xenophobia on. When long-running Canadian alt rockers, the Tragically Hip, started singing "Oh Canada," the same crowd that cheered when Rage Against Machine lit an American flag on fire was somehow patriotic enough to shout back with the Star Spangled Banner, and also, according to Spin, throw rocks and bottles. Um, and then uh, Kid Rock gets on stage. Speaking and, of throwing bottles, <laughs> yeah, Kid Rock gets on stage, and you know he's opening up with "Ba Wa Da Ba," which I will say it does have a pretty epic intro to that song. Um, great song to open a show with or close a show. Is um, that actually the name of that song? Yeah, "Ba Wa Da Ba." Uh, funny, okay. the funny thing is, uh, 
I had I was watching this old VHS tape that I had that I found, and there was a clip from MTV on there, and it was like the psychedelic for or no, it was the Afghan Wigs, which is some band from the eighties. And they were introducing Kid Rock, and he was so new. They were like, all right, up next we have Kid Rock with his new song, Bada Daba. (laughs) 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 It was like, shit, it's so funny. But uh, anyway, uh, while much of the chaos at Woodstock 99 came on Saturday evening, God damn it, let me take this fucking earring out that's clinking against my headphones. (laughs) It's driving me crazy. Anyway... While much of the chaos at Woodstock 99 came on Saturday evening, Kid Rock planted some seeds of aggression during his early afternoon set. Sandwiched between slots by the tragically hip and Wycliffe Jean, Kid Rock took to the stage and, according to the San Francisco Examiner, quote, demanded that the kids pelt the stage with plastic water bottles, perhaps making a statement about the high, the pri- the high price of hydration. And they, they, I don't, I don't even think he was making a statement. I, I think. He was just wanting to cause uh, some fucking chaos. I, I think what happened with a lot of these artists, once they saw this massive crowd and realized that it was essentially under their control, it just it, it just kind of it became almost like a drug, like a hit of like some kind of really strong shit, and like it 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 kind of messed with their senses. So then they started just doing crazy shit just for the sake of doing crazy shit just to to continue to just get a reaction from this massive crowd you could even argue it kind of started with the offspring when they're beating up the inflatables of like the boy bands you know that's another kind of way yeah, to boil up, like, up the meathead crowd. that's 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 their act they would have done that yeah. they would have done that at, at a coliseum they would have done that yeah at, at a, they would have done that anywhere and like so I, that i didn't know that so you, you know i but is it is it kid rock's act to get people to throw stuff on the stage it's his act to be crazy you know i yeah. mean obviously cheryl crow didn't do that uh alanis yeah. morissette didn't do that you know like Mm-hmm. Guster didn't do that. Like, they, yeah, it just depended on the artist. Like, I mean, yeah, that I know I'm jumping the gun a little bit here, but like, I'm gonna have a different take on things once we get to Lip Biscuit. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> After Kid Rock, we had Wycliffe Jean, and this is the East Stage, by the way. Wycliffe Jean, and that's when the water bottles just kept on a coming. And um, I think fucking Wycliffe Jean tried to do a Jimi Hendrix and play the Star yeah. Spangled Banner on guitar, and he fucking sucked. Yeah, he, he sucked at it, and it's like. Yeah. A, nobody should ever try to copy Jimi Hendrix, and B, nobody should ever try to copy the legend legendary moment of Woodstock '69 when Jimi Hendrix played the Star Spangled Banner on electric guitar, like a black man in the late '60s playing the Star Fucking Spangled Banner on electric guitar. I mean, there was no bigger like fuck you to the system than that, and mm-hmm. that will never be recreated. So why Cliff John? Don't just stop. That was so cringe that he did that. Then after that, you had the Counting Crows, which uh, definitely were still popular, but like, I mean, their big landmark album was in '94, and I mean, you know, fame waxes and wanes so quickly. By '99, I don't think there was a whole lot of people who were like, "Oh yeah, man, I'm excited to hear the Counting Crows, one of the most depressing bands ever." Um, then you had Dave Matthews. Dave Matthews' band is a band that is built for festivals. And, uh, you know, this, this, this was nothing new for Dave Matthews band. Their set was amazing. I remember, uh, watching the performance and, um, just totally the right vibe for the moment. 
it definitely brought the hippie spirit out more in people, but their music's also very energetic as well. But uh, Rolling Stone has Dave Matthews' Hornball. The amount of flashing in the audience during the Dave Matthews band set inspired their namesake singer to remark, Today, there's an abundance of titties. <laughs> yes, Dave Matthews said that out loud into a microphone in front of thousands and thousands of people. Somehow, he topped the ridiculousness of too much lyrics. Ooh, traffic jam, got more cars than a beach got sand. Okay, well, whatever. Um, that kind of plays into um, the horn dog nature of Woodstock 99. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it rivaled only that of your local Hooters. Uh, I'm reading from the Rolling Stone article here. Whenever a woman walked on stage, whether to MC or to perform, they were immediately greeted with demand to show me your tits. When Rosie Perez took the stage to introduce DMX, the crowd shouted their request, and the actress dropped probably the funniest and most memorable line of Woodstock 99, quote, 399 Blockbuster, go rent, do the right thing. <laughs> I, mean, I love Rosie Perez. She's awesome. I, I don't know who that is. Oh, man. You should watch White Man Can't Jump. Oh, okay. Um after Dave Matthews, you had Elance Morissette, which makes sense, I guess. I could see them sharing a bill yeah. together. Um, she did good. I think she still had some popularity back then, for sure. Um, she did this song called Baba, which I listened to, and that song is really good. It's very... Mm-hmm. She was That was like her era where she was doing songs like Uninvited. Just, kinda... Uninvited is a great song. Oh, yeah. Like, Alanis is still a beast to this day. I heard some of her recent live stuff. She hasn't lost a, a bit. I did a, I did a music video edit years ago to Nightmare on Elm Street. You, uh, using that to song? Uninvited. Yeah. And then it, then it swiftly got copyright claimed when YouTube reformed their shit. No, actually, it still was fine. It's just I had to do... Well, that one did, actually, more than I think about... Now that I think about it, I had to delete that one. With all your videos that you released on your channel over the years, how many fucking, like, claims and strikes have you had to deal with? (laughs) Not as many as others. um, Especially not on this channel. Like, on previous channels, I had a lot. But I was towing the line, and I was deliberately, you know, uploading copyrighted material. Because it was kind of a... Wild West sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, early on in YouTube. Um, other than like a few instances, there were some weird things where I'd get a copyright strike just because I used a thumbnail for the animated musical version of King Kong that nobody fucking remembers. But no one was really shit. like, no one was really making any money back then. So, uh, no. So it wasn't that big of a deal. Like, they only care about that shit when people start making profit off of their work. No, when that was when I was starting to get those strikes, it was one of those things where yeah. monetization was, was being rolled out. So, so after Alanis Morissette, then we get into the, the, the legendary, in a bad way, uh, Limp Bizkit performance. Mm-hmm. So Limp Bizkit was an emerging artist or emerging band already with their first album, $3 Bill Y'all, coming out in 97. They had, they had gotten a little bit of steam off of that record. But then in 99, they, they released Significant Other, which um, if this happened in uh, July, I want to... Fi- I mean, you want to talk about music catering to the frat boy crowd. Like, Limp Biscuit is definitely pretty high up there okay so yeah so significant other the album with break stuff and nookie on it that came uh-huh. out in june to, uh 22nd so 
people had like a whole at least couple weeks, you know, for the song. So basically, like they were like hot, red hot, like at this point when they played the festival and. Mm-hmm. A big to-do is always made about their performance because Fred Durst, a lot of people were saying Fred Durst was kind of encouraging people to go crazy, which he might have been. Um, Fred Durst honestly was the poster child for the exact people he was playing for. He looked yeah. he looked like a do du- a frat douche. You had you had guys who were interviewed and they would talk about Limp Bizkit and Fred Durst and they'd be like, "Yeah, we love him because you know he's just like us." Right? Yeah, and and, and they were right. He was. He was just like, like we're them. here. We're here for Limp Bizkit. We're, fuck everyone else. Right. You know that kind of thing. And so yeah, a lot of the devastation was going on before Limp yes. Bizkit, but it Limp Bizkit basically poured gas on the literal fire. See, prior to Limp Bizkit coming on stage, like there were, there was definitely signs of things starting to crack. Um, you, you know, with people just with this massive amount of people, you're gonna have, especially in the hot sun, and then having all this other shit on top of that, like the crazy high prices for beer and water and food. And other things like lack of security. I mean, women getting, uh, they're getting assaulted, essentially in the crowd, or outside of it. Um, it, it it's just one of those things where, it was one of those instances where, the bubble was about to burst, and Limp Bizkit, whether they intended to, uh, purposefully or not. And I, and I understand the debate for that because I don't 100% blame Limp Biscuit for what happened because that's just lame. But I do say, I, I do agree that the way that, that Fred approached some things, he was like the pin that, that burst the bubble. Well, see, again, this me. is why I go back to my argument that Limp Biscuit would have done the most to get the crowd as excited and riled up wherever they played. That's what yeah. they did. That's why that's one of the reasons why they became so popular is because of Fred's frenetic energy, the whole band really, uh, mm-hmm. but Fred being a, a a hype guy and, you know, it, the music itself it combined every element of what was popular at the time, heavy, hard rock, uh hip hop kind of sensibilities with Fred's mm-hmm. rapping and he would do his scream. So he kind of satisfied everybody, you know, it, the, at the time that was into that kind of stuff. And um, I just, I feel like he saw an opportunity to be like, yo, we're going to show people we are the craziest band. We are the best band and you cannot follow us. And he, he took advantage of the moment. And I don't think he was, you know, the, they these guys are probably in their fucking mid to late 20s. I don't think they were really thinking about, oh, well, this is irresponsible and, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's like... Well, no, 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 not at all. But that's not, that he's not that kind of person. Well, they're, they're a band, they're out there thinking, like, we have to prove ourselves because Corn just kicked our ass the night before. And, they're, you know, they were always in friendly competition at, back at that okay. time. Um, Limp Bizkit and Korn, they they yeah. they both featured on each other's records that same year and all that, and so um, they had like a friendship going or, or like a yeah. friendly rivalry or whatever. Um, so yeah, a lot of the crowd got really you know 
Feral after Limp Bizkit, and then you had fucking Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, which because with Limp Bizkit, like he del- he was saying things like, you know, do you feel this way? Do you, do you ever feel like you want to break shit? And that's probably something from that set, um, you know, uh, live and other performances of that song. But in this venue with this these amount of people at this time, it was just asking for trouble. Yeah, it was just one of those things where. I don't blame Fred Durst uh, solely like a lot of people do. Like you said, he's around the same age. He wants to put on a kick-ass show. I get it. He's just doing what he knows best, which is to to be crazy out there and rile up the crowd. This isn't really necessarily his fault. It's kind of the uh, the people who set up Woodstock '99, the bookers, to book Limp Bizkit. Right. <laughs> like it's it. It's kind of their fault, really. When you get when you get right down to it. Uh, but even even, but I think that would have turned out better if the whole venue was structured in a way where people felt like they could stay hydrated. They could didn't have to pay crazy amounts of money for food or other things. Uh, I think yeah. they wouldn't be as riled up because this is like the second day, and people were already starting to feel the heat. They were already starting to to feel a lot. I of think we've I think we've driven that problems. point home good enough that it was I know. hot and we needed water. I know, I know. <laughs> but I'm just saying back to that. that. Well, the documentary does that. If you think about it, it's the same thing that the documentary does. The three part documentary. Yeah. it does circle back to that a lot. All right. So anyway, Rage plays. They don't. It's funny they don't make any mention of Rage because like I saw their set and the crowd was going just as fucking hype. Yeah. For Rage's machine as they were, but they were. didn't break the the tower, huh? They didn't break the tower during the rage set, did they? Because that's what happened during the Limp Bizkit. They set. started they, te- they started tearing off the the plywood and stuff. Um, they yeah. just it just got progressively worse, pretty much. Yeah. And, then, and then Metallica is the closer of the East stage that night, and Metallica by this point <laughs> they're one of these evergreen bands that's relevant in every decade somehow. Um, so they were just as popular in 99 as they were in 89. Well, no, they were more popular in 99. Um, but anyway, maybe a little less relevant because, you know, the, all the mm-hmm. claims of them, quote unquote, selling out and all that in the mid 90s. Uh, yeah. People still were excited to see Metallica, as they always will be because they're fucking Metallica. But um, I mean, I saw them at Rockville uh, last year and they were fucking epic. I mean, they they sounded exactly the same, like not... It's good to hear that Hetfield, like, he, he got his voice issues, like, figured out. Because I remember seeing and, or reading that he was having problems with his voice for a little bit. So it sounds yeah. like he kind of got that. He's had issues with out. his voice throughout their career. I mean, singing mm-hmm. the way he sings is very oh, yeah. very aggressive, and he's pushing a lot. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Metallica plays, and James Hetfield can play a massive arena like a fucking violin. He, they've been playing massive arenas. At that point, for over 10 years, especially after the Black Album, they had been on tour for yeah. t- for two years straight after the Black Album. Two years of yeah. touring. So, there, you know, Metallica was a veteran. They were of, veterans. Of this kind of So Wood- Woodstock did not rattle them. Hetfield had that no. audience in the palm of his hand, and it was kind of masterful seeing him yeah. control them in the way that he did and uh, not... The documentary didn't mention much of, of Metallica either. I was, in, in yeah, I was set. surprised the bands that they left out. Um, 
So then we have. But that's the- a nice contrast to Limp Bizkit, and that also brings up another point about Limp Bizkit is that this might be like the first like massive crowd of this size that Fred Durst ever really. Oh, it absolutely was. Yeah, played in front of. So that's another thing to factor in. Yeah, when it comes to his reaction to it. Right, he's like, I have something to prove, and Metallica's like, we don't. <laughs> yeah. Like, these people are going to be here for us, uh, whether we prove it or not, but it's just in their DNA to always put on yeah. a, a good show, so that's what they did. Yeah. So on the West stage, you had, uh, I, th- I feel like the lesser, like the least less popular bands were, were on the West stage, mm-hmm. I'm noticing, compared to the East stage. You had Spitfire, I've never even heard of them, they don't even have a Wikipedia article for them. <laughs> Uh, you had Guster, which is like this. Um, Wikipedia calls them alternative rock, but I don't. They're more like folky. They were pretty good. The the one song that I heard on there, fucking Bruce Hornsby. <laughs> Bruce fucking- Hornsby. Speaking of copyright claims, I, I can bring up the story with me and Bruce Hornsby. Like on one of my older YouTube channels, I, I was uploading movie soundtracks that were hard to find or weren't on streaming audio yet or whatever. And so I uploaded the soundtrack for Backdraft because I, I really like that film. And there's a song by Bruce Hornsby from the soundtrack of that movie. And he copyrighted, claimed the the video and, and got it, got the channel nuked. Oh, really? So, yeah, he did. Shit. So he did a takedown. Yeah. Did, did it say that it was manually detected or automatically i think it i think it might have said manually detected by bruce hornby that means someone from his camp or him yeah. he himself yeah. saw it and was like that's not the way it is yeah your channel will never be the same <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> but you know this motherfucker is like folk rock he's the guy who would who would be at home in woodstock 69 yes like if he was absolutely doing music back then. like yeah I don't know, like, again, again, around the same time on the East stage, you had Dave Matthews' band, so I guess, but... That's probably a Michael Lang thing. Yeah. Then you had Everclear after that, which is, like, kind of a... I've I, heard of Everclear, but I just think of, like, the alcohol. <laughs> no, nah, Like, I keep forgetting that it's even a band. Like, I keep thinking... They're 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 most lasting they because they were big when I was like in fifth and sixth grade like they had a few albums that um that had uh-huh. some traction on the radio, but the one that really remains on the radio now is that song Santa Monica the dan 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 uh how's it I am still living with your ghost lonely and dreaming of the West Coast. I don't want to be your, you know. Anyway, I was mm-hmm. like, I never really cared for Everclear. Um, in fact, I wasn't allowed to buy their CD because, like, on the CD that came out, whenever I was looking at it, um, they had a song called "Why I Don't Believe in God." <laughs> and living in a Christian household at the time, it's like that's that's a no. That's a no go. Mm-hmm. But uh, then you had Ice Cube, which, you know, former rapper in N.W.A. He had a solo career at that time. Again, definitely more of the uh, gangster rap kind of thing. So it fit the vibe. Yeah. Um, Jesus, nowadays, if they did a, a Woodstock, it'd have to be all rappers because that's how mm-hmm. little that's how much rock has fa- like all the headliners of this festival were like mainly rock acts and mm-hmm. like that just shows you how much the landscape has changed much to my fucking chagrin 
because the 90, yeah. the 99 lineup, it's like I half of these bands or more than half I still listen to and are some of my mm-hmm. more favorite bands, you know? I mean, fucking A. But, um, Speaking of headliners, they, they had some interesting, quirky people that they wanted to have, like being an MC, uh, you know, for, for Woodstock 99. Like, one of them was Vern Troyer, Mini-Me. Mm-hmm. Like, he was like an MC on Saturday. He was just... You know, introduce you know, getting the crowd hyped up or whatever. <laughs> You're like mini me, like that definitely shows the time that it's 1999. Oh yeah, for sure. Vern Troyer, you know, being an MC. Um, I, I think I think I saw Stephen Baldwin. Oh, well, God. yeah, yeah. Stephen Baldwin was 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 on stage what? hyping something up. One of the lesser Baldwins. You're looking like uh, his character in Biodome. <laughs> love that movie um i remember Vern Troyer was on that vh1 celebrity house show where yeah yeah they picked yeah. up a bunch of like kind of washed up celebrities and uh-huh. had them live all in a house together gary Busey was in that too yeah I think. and i remember one episode he got pissed drunk and i say pissed because um he literally like stood on a chair and like pissed in a closet or something at one point yeah, i remember that one actually and they're, they're like all right, you need to go to bed for him. He's like, all right, all right, all right. And I, to this day, sometimes, like, I'll just say that. <laughs> I'll just be like, all right, all right. Like, just the, uh, just a drunken little person voice sounds very odd to me. Um, what was it, Celebrity Big Brother? Like, what the no, hell was it that was even like, called? It was like, I don't know, Vanilla Ice was on it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, Eric Estrada, <laughs> who actually formed, like, a good friendship with uh, Vanilla Ice. Like, they became good buddies on there. Um, I don't I think Tammy Faye Baker was on there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, oh, fucking Joey from Full House, Dave Couillet. Like, the most random assortment of fucking people. Probably. The Surreal Life? Yeah, The Surreal Life. Yeah, that's what it was called. Yeah, it probably got good ratings because it's like, who wouldn't want to see a bunch of, like, washed up people from the 90s, like, in the mid to late 2000s? Like Bridget, Bridget Nielsen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's her and Flavor Flav met on that yeah. show, and he got a fucking spinoff because he was so over the fucking top on that show. Corey Feldman was also in it. I think Flavor Flav like indel- in put an indelibly bad mark on Public Enemy from all of his chicanery. Yeah, on, flavor on, of Love. Yeah, on VH1, all the bullshit <laughs> he did on there, like that. They that just tarnished Public en- Enemy's image. I think. Speed of sorry, like some people are like, speed of tarnishing images. What the hell does this have to do with? mysteries or anything i was like well it's just a mystery of woodstock 99 woodstock 99 was a travesty we've covered murders on our on on our podcast before we've covered frauds this is kind of in the same vein as we've we've also covered yeah we've covered debacles you know fire fest but at least woodstock 99 actually happened yeah um yeah, Los Lobos, which is a Spanish uh, a rock kind of thing. I think they did a mm-hmm. cover of La Bamba. Um, yeah. Then they had kind of a they wanted to bring because like the emerging like techno music and um, like raves and shit was kind of becoming a so thing. So they had a rave tent like at night, <clears throat> like after the shows were the main shows were over, they would have like uh, a, a rave at night. Yeah, and then at closing out the night on the West Stage was the Chemical Brothers, which uh, they they are a purely EDM electronic group. Mm-hmm. 
I, I like the Chemical Brothers a lot. They released a new album a couple years ago that was really good, which made me happy that like did they do some stuff for Mortal Kombat? Like I, I'm not I'm not 100 sure, but I know Mortal Kombat was a soundtrack that had like a shit ton of like techno. Oh yeah, I don't know. Um, then you had Fat Boy Slim and the Emerging Artist, yeah. which is weird because again, '99 was a big year for Fat Boy Slim. He, he released the album with that had the single "Praise You" and Rockefeller Skank. Well, on he it. he was also there for the the rave. He was he was there setting up the the music for the rave the yeah. one night, and that's where you had the fucking drunken assholes who store who stole a truck. They're driving it through the crowd. Oh yeah, that was, that was nuts. I knew nothing about that until watching the documentary. They drove a truck through the audience, and they had to like stop the show. And yeah, you know, like and Fat Boy Slim was interviewed. He's talking about how he loves to, you know, to be in this position to, as a DJ to just work with a, a crowd and just to, to get them to go crazy. And he loves seeing this crazy stuff, but that was even too crazy for him. Like he yeah. was just like, it, it, he was like, "We got to get out of here." He's like, "I got to get out of here." Like the, his his uh, his guys, they're like, "We got to pick pack up our stuff and and we we got to go." Things were just too out of control. And like in the, I guess in that same van, I think there was a woman who was getting assaulted or something. Well, there was this no, yeah. There's yeah. like there was this like passed out naked woman in the back of the truck, and some guy yeah. was apparently had like raped her, and there was a lot yeah. of that that went on, which was fucking yeah. awful. And so by then you got the final day, July twenty fifth, Sunday, and it's just at this point it's like how much worse can this shit get? Well, it's it's about to reach its denouement here. Um, Starting off the day, you have Willie Nelson, and in the documentary, they talked about how, like, oh, it was like a spiritual moment because he, he he sang gospel hymns and all that. And I'm like, Willie Nelson sucks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> then you have the Brian Setzer Orchestra. Uh, they're they're like this, you know, kind of doo wop kind of jump jiving and wailing. Wow, kind of, it sounds like they were just hitting the bottom of the barrel. Well, they're 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 a good band, but they're yeah. you know they're bringing back that swing music, and that was that mm-hmm. was actually reemerging at the time. Like the big band kind of sound was making a comeback with like the Squirrel Nut Zippers for like one year. Yeah, literally, <laughs> like you had the Cherry Pop and Daddies and Brian yeah. Setzer. Um, so yeah, that was definitely representative of the time. You had Everlast, who went went from rap to like. Uh, like alternative acoustic rock um with his song and then you really might know what it's like yeah uh, which they still that's pl- the one that i remember the most from everlast to be perfectly honest yeah he had a- another song called i can't move about his heart attack or whatever uh it was, uh-huh. pr- it was pretty good but yeah they still fucking play that song on radio today uh elvis costello who's like big amongst like the hipsters and the indie kids even to this day elvis costello is like revered in the indie world i could give a fuck about his music personally then you had jewel after that who definitely had like backslid a little bit by then um this was before she released her infamous pop album um in like the 2000s with that stupid song intuition that Mm -hmm. she literally wrote the song because gillette had commissioned her to write a song about their product because they are releasing a razor called the intuition and they paid her this large chunk of money to write a song using the word intuition in it that they could use in their commercials. Yeah. And she did. Like, what the fuck? Uh-huh. 
I get. Uh, I'm bringing up Everlast again because I, I rem- also remember their song "So Long," which was on on the soundtrack for End of Days, which is actually a pretty good soundtrack. Yeah, has, Everlast uh, isn't the worst. Uh, you know, he's not the worst artist in the world. That's honestly a pretty underrated soundtrack. Oh, you you've got Limp Bizkit on it doing a song called Crush. You got Super Beast by Rob Zombie. You got Poison by The Prodigy. Oh, nice. Yeah, nobody's real. by Power Man. What, 5, what movie was that from? End of Days. Is that a good movie? I actually like it. It's so it's it's interesting to see Schwarzenegger play that kind of role. He's like a washed up uh, cop with who's got an alcohol problem and and is like a five o'clock shadow and he gets involved with uh, this uh, battle with Satan. Because oh, there's this whole okay. uh, yeah, it's a horror film. It's a horror action movie. Nineties, I'm assuming. Yeah, 1999. It was about. It actually came out the same year as uh, uh you know, Woodstock '99. Oh wow! Because it was all about like, oh, the new millennium hits. It's the end of the world. You know, you have to because there's this whole uh thing with this cult and they're they, and Satan and you know Schwarzenegger has to stop it. Otherwise, you know, the end of the world is going to happen uh, when the clock strikes you know midnight uh, on new year's eve oh i find it's funny rolling stone i i didn't even know this about rolling stone they actually mentioned wycliffe's horrible hendrix impersonation yeah. okay let's see what what's yeah. see what rolling stone had to say about it perhaps no one tried to conjure up the spirit of woodstock 69 as much as wycliffe jean unfortunately he failed miserably in, in addition to performing a jailhouse rock-like improv about Woodstock, Wycliffe also spent much of his 35-minute set doing a really awful Jimi Hendrix impersonation, from noodling with a guitar from behind his head to trying to light that guitar on fire. Okay, that was a nod to Jimmy's failed Monterey gig, not Woodstock, but still. However, Wycliffe's attempt at recreating Hen- Jimi Hendrix's celebrated guitar rendition of the Star Spangled Banner from 69 was an act of desecration almost on par with Radiant's machine burning an American flag. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that was it was it was awful. Wycliffe Jean that dude <laughs> sucks. Like I don't know how yeah. he's had a, been able to maintain a career. Have you ever heard him sing? He he's like he has this warbly high pitch kind of thing he does that I guess is he's trying to be like all Rasta and shit. I've probably and, heard it heard some of his music before, but it doesn't really ring a bell. It's not good. I've heard apparently people, his uh, I, well not him, but apparently Woodstock '99 was also a train wreck on their website. Like it was so bad that the Woodstock site would post photos of women without their consent. Oh. You'd have captions saying, like, nice pair and show me your tits. Yeah, but, dude, in 99, though, like, nobody yeah. nobody knew. Like, the people running that website, they they probably were like, oh, this is this will get us clicks. Like, yeah. like this, was, this was so far before the Me Too movement. Like, this was back when, like, uh, misogyny and sexual harassment were just kind of, like, a part of the thing that women had to yeah, deal part with of the zeitgeist yeah yeah it's like yeah it's you know and and i i don't i don't think women realize that like uh, like the full amount of power that they had to be like this is not fucking okay until it just reached a fever pitch in the the 2010s when it was like enough is fucking enough already like this is a long time coming kind yeah. of thing um, so anyway, after you had Wycliffe or, or uh, Jewel, you had Creed, and Rolling Stone has something to say about this. Of all the lame musical moments at Woodstock 99, this had to be the low point. 
Creed, voted by our readers as the worst band of the 90s, played the festival's uh, penultimate set on Sunday night. For no reason than singer Scott Stapp's obsession with Jim Morrison, Creed brought out the Doors guitarist Robbie Krieger for a brutal rendition of Roadhouse Blues, which they included on the DVD. I remember seeing that. Maybe it was an attempt to bridge the gap to the 69 Fest. Only Krieger and the Doors didn't play at the original Woodstock. Um... Yeah, that and was speaking a- of Jewel, like she she's uh, uh, an interesting performer on this set because she's the, I think the only one that just flat out didn't play her whole set. Yeah, well, I mean, shit, I don't blame her with all that bullshit going on. Yeah, because she was she came out on stage, and then I think the same like drunk f- high frat boys were like, "Show me your tits" and all this other shit, and then she was just like, "Fuck this, I'm out of here." Um, an- another interesting side note about the 99 festival is um, the organizers went out of their way to exclude a lot of original acts from the first mm-hmm. Woodstock because Woodstock 94, the lineup was a lot more reminiscent of the original. They brought back a lot of the original lineup uh, performed and, and then they mixed it with new talent as well, such as your Green Days and bands like that. Mm-hmm. And 99, they kind of like went out of their way to like, they wanted it to be as hip and sell as many tickets as possible. So they didn't, they didn't invite back um, hardly any of the original. Which, which makes sense because you're, because the main goal with Woodstock 99 was to make money, to right. finally make a profit. Right. Which is why they had it on the Air Force Base because they thought that they could just contain everybody. But we, we quickly found out, like on day three, that they couldn't even do that. So before I go, <laughs> before I go to the headliner on the East Stage, because that kind of like bookends the uh, Woodstock '99 experience. So let's go to the West Stage once again. Spitfire opened up. I don't know why they got two opening slots. Oh no, they played all three days on the West Stage, and they don't, they literally don't even have a Wikipedia. Uh, citation on here, so I don't some know. volunteer band, <laughs> some volunteer local band, or like I'm gonna see if are they even on Spotify. <laughs> the only thing I, I, do, I just find that a hilarious uh, concept that it was just some volunteer local band in, in New York. We're like, hey, you know, we need we need a band to open on the West Stage. You know, I'm just, I'm we, just like we can't find anyone. I'm just do you like, want to do it. I'm baffled that. Okay, it must have been must have been this band that I just pulled up because um, they have albums. In, their first album was in '93, and then they did have an album in '99. But they, I'm on Spotify right now. Like they're, it's like four thousand plays for each song, or for the first three songs, and the, re- <laughs> the rest of the songs have a thousand plays. <laughs> like they have, I mean. This has got to be. You the- have some songs that are that have more plays. I think we have podcast episodes that have more plays. Oh yeah, absolutely. We absolutely do. Yeah, my yeah, my <laughs> band absolutely has songs that has more plays than that. I could have opened up Woodstock '99. <laughs> um, <clears throat> then you had Mike Ness. Uh, uh, you probably would have done it, like oh. if you were in that position. You had your band and everything. <clears throat> you would. Yeah, are you kidding me? Of course I would. Would you? You would have done 2019 as well. <laughs> uh, yeah i mean yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, dude i we played a 
We played a, a fucking festival in Tampa called Cat Fest for like eleven people, dude. We we are yeah. we are not <laughs> we are not on any kind of level where we could be saying no to festivals of any kind. It's called Cat Fest. Yeah, it was something about <laughs> adopting cats or something. Um, oh, then you had Mike cute. Ness, who was the uh, lead guitarist and vocalist for the band Social Distortion, so I guess he was just doing a solo thing. Mm-hmm. Then you had Our Lady Peace, which they had their moment in the sun in the 90s with uh, Superman is Dead and that song, Life is Waiting for You, uh, which I thought was totally lame, but they were they were just one of those alternative rock bands that just got, they got thrown into the mix because they had a sound that record industry yeah. thought was marketable so. i instantly <clears throat> recognized that sound like it definitely sounded like a lot of alt rock bands yeah they were, they were nothing special at all um then you had rusted root which is like a kind of a rootsy they're called here a world beat rock band um mm-hmm. i never really knew much about them or cared then you had seven okay so then it gets like butt rocky here you got seven dust which was definitely um, definitely fit in the same genre as Corn and Limp Biscuit. They were a little bit more metal. Um, they're pretty good. A lot of people, a lot of people still will stand by Seven Dust as like a solid new metal band from that time. Uh, then you had Collective Soul, which were a huge band for Woodstock '94. They were like one of the headliners from '94 because they had a huge album back then with like like every single song on that album charted back in the mid 90s they were because people they came around at a time where people were really burned out on grunge and Uh how like depressing it was yeah and then you had these bands like collective soul soul asylum sister hazel these watered down post-grunge bands that were a lot more um they were a lot more easy to to digest than it seems like all of those bands are they're not technically one hit wonders but they have sort of the same reputation but yeah it's like oh they had these big songs and their album was huge for that one year but then so yeah in 94 anything after in 94 they had that their album hints allegations and things left unsaid so that was their huge album but then after that i'm like looking through their Will you just show me the album Spotify and not show me every fucking EP and single they've ever put out? Like, fuck off. Yeah, Spotify does that. They did put out an album in... Okay. So they put out an album in 99 and it had that song Heavy on it. That was kind of a big song. And all your weight falls on me, brings me down. They had that song in 99. Who sang that song Flood? Oh, that was Jars of Clay. Okay. Yeah, they were a Christian band. I think Collective Soul was too. Va- they were like, yeah, they- similar kind of sound, right? But similar cl- kind of thing. No, Jars of Clay was more had more of an acoustic kind of feel to their shit. Collective Soul was like a wink and nod Christian band, like Pod. They're not. They're not going to straight oh, yeah. up be like. I mean, even though their biggest song is "Oh Heaven, Let Your Light Shine Down," for whatever reason, people didn't really put, throw them in the Christian bin. And then it got more butt rock with a God smack. Yeah, God. Yeah. I'm alive for you. I'm awake. Um, just straight up Alice in Chains ripoff band, if you ask me. <laughs> um, they even got the name of their band from an Alice in Chains song called God smack. Um, and then you had Megadeth, which was the uh, headliner for the West Stage, which, funnily enough, 
Metallica was the headliner yeah. for the East stage like the day before. And it's like Megadeth and Metallica have always been in competition. Funny thing is, uh, Megadeth trails behind Metallica very significantly yeah. in popularity. Yeah. So why they would give Megadeth the head... Megadeth is not a headliner. I'm sorry. They're just mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dave Mustaine's voice sounds like a cartoon rat. <laughs> they don't have any like... They don't have any like Enter Sandman esque hit songs. What P cells? No, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, like Symphony of Destruction. You know, and then like P cells, but who's buying P cells? But who's buying? Yeah, and it's like he like talk sings in most of his songs. Like, yeah. what do you mean? I'm not a man. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. They're just goofy to me. You they know? did a cover of No More Mr. Nice Guy from the Shocker soundtrack. So they're at, like, almost 5 million monthly listeners. Meanwhile, Metallica is at... 25 million monthly listeners. Yeah, I mean, but Megadeth still made their mark on Yeah, no, they did. Yeah, I mean, everyone... They will always be one of the big four of the thrash scene... In, yeah, in the '80s, um, along with Slayer, and um, and I think Anthrax. Mustaine, he was a part of Metallica initially, so yeah. that's why that rivalry exists. Man, he he was he was salty for the longest about yeah. getting kicked out of Metallica. But I mean, the dude was an alcoholic; he couldn't get his shit together. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, and and they were all alcoholics, so for them to be like, "Bro, you are too much," and that's yeah. coming from. A fellow alcoholic. Sp- speaking of too much, like the third day is where things just really just so uh, we're, so it, I skip, just exploded. I skipped the East Stage headliner because this was when it really all came to a head. The East Stage headliner was Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, and and even prior to that, you had the the porta potties that were like breaking and there's shit everywhere. We already covered that. Are, I'm just saying, like, before that, like, there was that, that build up to just things just completely just exploding. So on, on Sunday, <laughs> they had this whole thing where they wanted to make some grand gesture for peace. So they gave these ornery, tired, hungover, drunk, high, malnourished, dehydrated meatheads candles. They gave mm-hmm. them all candles. And, and they didn't even uh, uh, talk to the fire department or anybody about this or get permission either. They just fucking did it. Right. And candles. so the idea was that w- during the Red Hot Chili Peppers performance of Under the Bridge, they were all to light the candles in some kind of a celebratory peace and love thing. And they did. And it was beautiful and magical, even though Flea's penis and balls were clearly visible (laughs) in his ass. Because he's playing naked, yeah. He was playing naked, that's Flea, that's what he does, you know, sure, why not. Um, So what do you think a a crowd of this many people would do to repay the fine price-gouging vendors of Woodstock uh, after two or three days of punishing heat and just all the abuse that one body could take? They lit everything on fire. Yep. They started huge bonfires initially, but then that turned into setting semi-trucks on fire. One fucking exploded in a... Multiple ones exploded, I think. In yeah. a in a 
uh, a bomb-like, missile-like fashion. Like, yeah. if you were in the vicinity, you probably would have gotten severely injured. Yeah. Uh, they started looting the vendor stands. The vendors and everyone else started heading for the high ground at this point. The All the uh, staff involved with Woodstock... <laughs> they battened down the hatches. They battened down the fucking hatches <laughs> in the, the offices, the back offices, and they fucking barricaded the door shut. Yeah. Um, like it's a fucking zombie movie. Like, like everyone like really at this point, shit. Yeah, ev- yeah everyone crazy. at this point had just lost it. They had had enough. They they toppled over the sound towers. They uh, were just just destroying everything, setting everything on fire. They had all these artful installations, like the fence that surrounded yeah. the perimeter. They they had been tearing that down. That wasn't anything new. They had been doing that throughout the entire time. Um, but all that went into the fire. And um, they pretty much had to call in what looked like the National Guard. <laughs> yeah. And police just started just going in there. The firefighters wouldn't go in there. They called nope. the they called the the firefighters and they're like no we're we're not we're not going in there like they're and like Michael Lang was pissed he's like this is your job he's like oh uh, nah yeah and meanwhile you know Michael uh, Lang is acting all fucking aloof throughout the entire yeah. interview of this documentary he's like well I mean you know I thought it was very peaceful I didn't hear about any of that other stuff I don't know. Well, speaking of that stuff, I mean, the press interviews with Lang and Cher uh, were such a joke. Like, while, while the news was pouring out that, you know, the venue was starting to really wear on on, on uh, the, the festival goers in a bad way, and things were starting to really fall apart, you got... Uh, Lang and Cher acting like it's all hunky dory, it's great, it's only a few bad apples, you know that kind of thing. Uh huh. They they did try- a celebratory press conference prior to the Red Hot Chili Peppers set, congratulating themselves and acting, you know, for a job well done. They're trying to spin everything like, uh, like oh, I, I you know what you're calling this disastrous event. I I see it as. People are really enjoying themselves, and it's, you know, I see a lot of young people having a lot of fun with some great music, and, uh, you know, if you want to turn this into a negative thing, then, uh, you know, that's your prerogative, but uh, we're we're thinking it's turning out great so far, and yada, 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 and they even, on the VHS tape, they had this little, like, back area where they would interview the artists either before or after their performances, and even all the artists are like, yeah, man, we're, we're honored to be here, and this is great, and good energy and, and and all the the bullshit that was going on behind the scenes really was this big kind of it, it was a big cover up until oh, yeah. after the fact i also think that uh the um the looting and the riot was also uh definitely something that was uh, influenced by the fact that this entire crowd was hyped up that there would be some surprise final act that there yeah. would be some final act where they might have some like big, huge star rumors like Michael Jackson or some other like big band at the time, and all it was was just video footage of Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, which was like, wow, that's uh, 
I mean, if there was if it was a hologram or if they dug up his corpse and did like a, a pantomime thing where yeah. he, he played <laughs> <laughs> Weekend at Bernie's, yeah, Weekend at Bernie's <laughs> style, and he played some songs. I mean, that'd be one thing. Like get a, a Jimmy impersonator singer off stage to sing the actual song. That'd be one thing. But like a video, it's like, oh, cool, I could have like seen that at my house. But um, and that probably pissed them off even more because they already saw Wyclef Jean do a shitty version of of Jimi Hendrix earlier that just seems so obvious as like don't do that like that's a that's like a douchebag thing to do like um i don't know um because like there was all these pie in the sky rumors like the beatles you know the kind of you know craziness you know where you'd have somebody you know some crazy big reunion big deal nothing absolutely nothing like i would be pissed too if I was constantly uh, told by the people who were setting up this festival that there's going to be better make sure to stay to the end, you know? It'd be like watching a big event movie and there's all this promotion, like a Marvel movie, and you got to stay for the end credits because there's some, like, big scene. And then you watch the film and, like, the scene is just amounts to nothing. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> I do want to mention the emerging artist stage because the Rolling Stone article actually brings up a good point. Um... It, 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 the the article says with apologies to Muse and Ben Lee because yes Muse did play on the final day in the emerging artists and they uh, arguably are one of the more relevant artists that remain from this lineup and they were on mm-hmm. the uh, they were on the basically the nobody stage but it says with apologies to Muse and Ben Lee did any of these artists truly emerge two skinny J's. American Pearl, Big Sugar, Cyclefly, DDT, Gary Durden, and the Clay Pimps, Mike Irico, uh, Full Devil Jacket, Gargantua Soul, blah, 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 the list goes on and on and on. Uh, It said, um, despite the lack of big-name talent besides the Who's John Entwistle, who inexplicably performed a solo set on the emerging emerging artist staged Despite being one of the only two artists at Woodstock 99 to have performed at Woodstock 69, the emerging artist stage was frequently packed, if only because the airport hangar that served as the venue was uh, one of the only rare yeah. shade providers at the festival. Yeah, that was the main reason why it was even uh, a, a venue that had a lot of people there, because they were just trying to stay cool. They didn't give a shit about the music. Finally, we will touch on the sex, the multiple sex, uh, sexual assaults. Because I mean, you also have the aftermath. I mean, after, but you can touch upon that, and then because the aftermath, like they showed footage of what uh, the Air Force base looked like. It looked like a war zone. Yeah, I mean, it looked like it got bombed. Yeah, even the stage, even the stage, like like there was portions of the stage, and this is a tall stage, like like hundreds of feet in the air. And I'm looking at, like, there's portions of the stage that were ripped off at the very top. Yep. I'm like, how did they get up there? They climbed up there. Like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> these people, like, are fearless. Like, 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 hundreds of feet in the air, if you fall, you will die. Mob mob mentality. Um, like like people were saying, like, this. there's the guys who were interviewed. This is like some Lord of the Flies shit, man. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it really was. So, uh, the multiple sexual assaults, quote, at one point I saw this girl, a very petite girl, maybe a hundred pounds, who was body surfing above the crowd and either fell in or was pulled into a circle in the mosh pit, volunteer David Schneider told MTV. These gentlemen, probably in the age of 25 to 32, looked as though they were holding her down. 
They were holding her arms. You could see she was struggling. That gang rape occurred during corn set. According to reports, even more sexual assaults took place during Limp Bizkit after Fred Durst infamously incited the crowd with break stuff. A police investigator told the Washington Post that two men cornered a 24-year-old woman from Pittsburgh in the mosh pit, assaulting her with their fingers and some type of foreign object before one of them raped her. God, this is horrendous. The police report read, due to the congestion of the crowd, she felt that if she yelled for help or fought, she feared she was going to be beaten. The men were never apprehended. While only a handful of sexual assaults relayed to law enforcement, many more went unreported. In the bedlam following Limp Bizkit set from the stage, someone, an MC or organizer, pleaded, please, there are people hurt out there. They're your brothers and sisters. They're under the towers. Please help the medical team get out there to them. We can't continue the show until we get these people out of there. We really have a serious situation out there. A stark contrast to, quote, the brown acid that is circulating around us isn't too good, quote, (laughs) announced 30 (laughs) years earlier at the 69 concert. Of the 44 people arrested at Woodstock 99, only one was charged with sexual assault. Yeah, that's messed up. But um, for a lot of people, that's one of the lasting legacies of uh, Woodstock 99 is, is the assault um cases but it wasn't just sexual assault i mean there were other cases of assault like just people beating up on each other yeah i mean how many how many people got into fist fights you know you got to figure you know just being drunken jackasses like yeah you got to figure that happened or then like they showed like footage of because there was a reporter who was trying to make a name for himself and he did with his reporting of woodstock 99 yeah he got into the mosh pit yeah yeah got into the mosh pit was there on the front lines when the fucking trailers were exploding and shit. Jesus um, Christ. But, uh, yeah, it's one of those things where the mosh pit in particular, like I'm pretty sure a lot of people got hurt during that kind of, that, that whole thing. Cause the crowd is just moving. Like it's a fucking wave. It's a wave pool, you know? Yeah. And they showed footage of the people, that were in the medical tent and it's just it, it looked like you know it's a battlefield <laughs> like the aftermath of a battlefield like they, they were in a war or like people just almost passed out completely dehydrated to the point where they're almost completely out of it you got people like with cuts and on their and abrasions on their head broken arms <laughs> you got the one guy keith he was interviewed who was talking about he was in the mosh pit he was like I, I I think I might die. I, I I think I think this might be my my you know I I think I think this might be the end because it's just so fucking insane. And then he would just be like, "Well, you know, if I die, then at least I you know I was at Woodstock." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's about all I got for it. Uh, I don't what I don't know about like the aftermath. Um, well, much. I know, you know, Michael Lang, you know, he probably thought about maybe doing more Woodstocks. Well, no, that... they they totally, they, they have, like, I have a whole series on my YouTube channel yeah. co- covering the development of Woodstock 2019, and it was, yeah. it was going to happen. They had all the, they, mm-hmm. had, they had a website for it, they had the, uh, I think they had almost gotten to the point where you could buy tickets, but the investors uh, ultimately pulled out. Um, if you looked at the lineup, which I just tore to shreds in one of my videos, yeah. the lineup was so fucking milk toast. Like, I had I had not heard of like seventy five percent of those bands, and the ones I had heard of were like these little, these little you know, 
powder puff like acoustic yeah, it acts. seemed it seemed like an extreme reaction yes to they the, were definitely the extremes of woodstock 99 they were definitely trying to avoid any kind of any aggressiveness to to where but i mean you don't even necessarily have to have an aggressive band for crazy shit to happen i mean look i mean look what happened with astroworld you know the 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 whole thing with the rap concert. Yeah, I forgot who that was, but Travis Scott. Travis Scott. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, and let's be fully honest. If they did do a 2019 or two, or like say like a 2000 and I don't know 25 Woodstock for like the one millionth anniversary or whatever anniversary it would be at that point, um, 60th or 55th i don't know uh yeah it'd be a 55th anniversary if they did do a lineup like rock music just isn't like in no. the, it's not in the zeitgeist like it was no in so it would be like you said it'd be mostly rap maybe some would, pop acts yeah it'd be duo lipa it'd be ed sheeran Billie eilish billy eilish uh foo fighters might have a, a token spot on there as like one of the only remaining rock bands if you could get someone like adele who's huge still you probably but, get like um, like Young Blood because Young Blood's mm-hmm. on everything on every fucking festival now. Machine Gun Kelly, if he's if he's still even doing like yeah. rock, he, I, I've already heard that he's going back to rap. Yeah, um, but it's just one of those things where I I don't think it'll ever happen again because Woodstock '99 just stained the reputation of Woodstock so badly that I I think the the brand is just completely it was, burned. It was like to the ground. Okay, overly macho, aggressive white guys, you've had your time in the sun. It's it's over now. You've ruined it. This is why we can't have nice things. Like, yeah, you know, that was a lot of people's reactions to the Netflix documentary because it it did spark a lot of uh, discussion on oh, yeah. Twitter and online. Well, I mean, it was, it was it, dude. I mean, that's, popular. That's how it was back then, and I'm like, part of me is glad that that mentality isn't as welcomed as it once was. Yeah. But I mean, shit. I go out to if I go out to the beach bars, like you absolutely still have those kind of guys. I mean that that for whatever reason that jackassery just gets passed down from like generation to generation. I bet I bet you see some of that at your karaoke gigs. You know, yeah. Sometimes no, you do, you do. Unfortunately, you know, we have a girl get up on stage and you know some fucking drunk asshole in the well, oh, just people acting like Chad bros in general. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, this is running into two hours long, and I want to go get a fucking burrito, so. (laughs) Uh, That is the end of Woodstock 99, as far as I'm concerned. Um, You you guys out there, if you're interested, you should check out Woodstock 94 as well. A great lineup. Um, Underrated um, festival, like, from the 90s, I would say. Um, But anyway, if you want to follow us on Patreon, it's patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. Get the podcast early sometimes, and for five dollars you can have us cover a um, you know a topic, not a whole series though. Um, if you want to, geez, I've done this in so long I forgot what I'm plugging. If you want to uh, join our Facebook fan page, you can go to facebook.com and type in "uncovering unexplained mysteries," then hit the group tab, and we should be popping up there. Um, it's a nice little community to discuss mysterious things or crazy debacles like this one. And then finally, if you want to listen to me and Mike's um, solo material, um, I will plug my channel first this time since it's more relevant to what we're talking about. 
Um, my channel is youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. Uh, I do music based stuff all the time. Like on the woods, I did my own documentary on Woodstock 94 and 99 that I feel is definitely worth a watch. Um, I've covered the Woodstock 2019 debacle and the lineup on there, and I break down the lineups. I've, I've done a bunch of music-based kind of uh, documentaries, little mini-documentaries, um, and I talk about angry video game nerds, shitty-ass band Rex Viper every now and then. Um, once again, that's youtube.com slash dancingwithghosts. And Mike, Mike's the movie guy. What was the last video that you did? So last uh, review I uploaded is of a black exploitation film from the 70s called Black Samurai. Prior to that, I also reviewed uh, the Total Recall films, the 1990 classic with Arnold Schwarzenegger. See you at the party, Victor. Uh, and uh, the shitty, forgettable, just awful remake with Colin Farrell from 2012. Oh, I didn't know they remade Total Recall. Yeah, they did, the and fuck? it sucks. Why would they do that? Uh, there's more lens flares in that movie than action scenes. <laughs> I also talked about Ender's Game. I also ranked uh, the Predator films in a, in a ranking video, as well as uh, did a review of Prey, which I think is incredibly overrated. I don't understand. Oh, really? Damn! Why that's that a, film that's a hot is so take. hyped? Everyone on my friends list is like hyping this. Sh- Even like people who are usually snobby are like, "It's such an underwhelming movie. It really is." Wow. Some hot takes from Mike. The Predator gets defeated because it has a fatal case of stupidity. <laughs> well, that's a spoiler alert. Yeah, it doesn't know how its tech works, which is fucking bullshit. <laughs> how does this film get such a pass? Um, you've so been, yeah. You've been, you're, uh, it looks like you're going to be talking about Karate Kid coming up. Yeah, I am. I'm going to be doing the Karate Kid films because uh, those are requested as well as other out of the blue stuff like the stupids with tom arnold oh uh, i remember that movie that or the previews for that movie and i remember thinking that looks so cringe it is <laughs> it is uh the whole plot is that tom arnold thinks that somebody is stealing his garbage but you know he doesn't really because he's he doesn't realize that it's just the garbage people doing their job because he's a fucking moron wow um that's my boy, the Adam Sandler movie, which actually has Vanilla Ice in it as his best friend. The whole bit with that film is that Adam Sandler plays a character who, when he was a kid, banged his teacher and got got his teacher pregnant, and that made him a celebrity in the eighties for some reason. Wow, that yeah. that is uh, that's a hot potato. Yeah, if you if you did that the other way around, that movie would be like yeah like fucking banned i mean there's a really cringe scene where young adam sandler like the kid the kid who's supposed to be adam sandler's character when he was uh in in school uh he gets found out that he's banging his teacher at the assembly and then they all cheer him so they made a a dramatized scene where an underage minor has sex with an adult yeah oh that's that's i mean look if I... And then there's a twist in the film where incest is involved later on. Oh, so you that's have good. incest and sex with a minor. Uh, sex with a minor. Now, granted, if I was 15 years old 
And my teacher. That's what they do. That's what they do. They tie. They tie into the oh, you know, you know that 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 whole thing where it's like, oh, good for him. You know, he lived every boy's fantasy. But uh, I one other thing I want to mention is I did see the movie Elvis tying back into music. Um, uh, the Elvis, the newest Elvis film with Tom Hanks in a fat suit with some silly accent, which I I will have to admit, Tom Hanks. His performance is kind of a train wreck, but I warmed up to it to the point where it was such an intriguing train wreck for Tom Hanks that I was I ultimately did like the performance because it's just so unique for Tom Hanks. Like Tom Hanks doesn't normally play characters like this. Yeah, I and did, it almost I did seemed hear... like he was a, a, a Batman villain. <laughs> <laughs> I did hear I did read somewhere that he like overdid the accent. He did. Nah. Austin Butler though was Elvis was amazing, he was great. So, so they had two different Tom Hanks as a young and an old. No, Tom Hanks plays uh, Colonel Tom Parker. Elvis is oh. played by Austin Butler. Oh, okay, gotcha. Elvis, uh, uh, the the film is essentially sort of focused on Colonel Tom Parker retelling the story of Elvis. I need to see that. I'd be, I I I listened to a, a auto or a biography on Elvis that was really I, yeah. I would highly recommend it. It does take creative liberties with some things. There are some things Man, that happen in the they, film that didn't actually happen that way. They always do that. Yeah, they did that in Bohemian Rhapsody. They did that in Rocket Man, but not as much. Rocket Man was pretty was fairly close to to the re- to reality i loved rocket man rocket man was great i need to watch all these goddamn have you seen rocket man you need to see that as well if you haven't seen rocket man yet the 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 elton john yeah no i, I know pick. i should i should watch it for sure and elvis is is in my opinion not quite as good as rocket man but definitely up there but human rhapsody was disappointing to me i don't understand why that was so highly praised it didn't even come close to telling the full story i don't have a i don't have a desire to watch bohemian rhapsody simply for the fact that all they're gonna i feel like when people think of queen all they think about they only focus on the song bohemian rhapsody and then their live aid performance and like that's basically what happens here yeah like there is so much more to that to fucking queen than goddamn bohemian rhapsody and their live Uh aid performance the the song the show must go on like I I I just it's such a missed opportunity for me when it comes to that movie, uh because that song was one of the last songs that Freddie Mercury I think recorded vocals for before he passed away, and he, he did a lot of vocals for um the album after Innuendo called Made in yeah. Heaven um yeah. so I don't I don't believe the show must go on was his last no I didn't say it was his last I said it was one of his last oh well, yeah yeah. But it was a song that he recorded when he was just really in the thick of AIDS, not doing well at all. And he just downed some vodka, got into the recording studio, and just fucking killed it. That would have been an unbelievably amazing scene to see on film. And to show him degrading from AIDS, you know? And then to have that moment of triumph... Right. Like, I get chills thinking about that. Right. Because that song is very, very much, in a lot of ways, tied to, to Freddie, you know, and, and, and what was going on with him in his life. I mean, that, that whole album, Innuendo, like, is such an underrated album. Like, 
the d- days of our lives is so sad to listen. It's basically Freddie rem- like like um, re- recollecting on is like, Invisible Man from th- that album I think too, or is that no. from the previous one? That was from some. That was from another one. That must have been from uh, I think the Miracle. But anyway, um, Days of Our Lives will get you choked up when you listen to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually made a music video for that song, and he's in it. And they had to use yeah. so much makeup on him, and yeah. he, he looks so gaunt, and he just didn't. Yeah. He didn't look right. He looked. Uh, it was very uncanny. Because what see happened him, with Bohemian uh, Rhapsody is Queen themselves, like the remaining members, they got involved with it, and it was their opinion and their decision to make it such a sanitized uh, right let's not tell the full story type of thing yeah which is just such an unbelievably missed opportunity you know down the road they're gonna do a nirvana movie Mm -hmm. and it's gonna suck because Mm -hmm. courtney love and or francis bean is going to get involved and they're gonna be like no no it didn't happen that way kurt would have never done like i fucking yeah i'm so sick of courtney <laughs> love always saying what kurt would and wouldn't have done like she is such a yeah. fucking speed of courtney love though i was very surprised by her in the film people versus larry flint apparently, i mean apparently she's a like, good actress but her performance in that was and Great. I mean, I even enjoy her band whole to a certain degree, but as a person, she's one of those <laughs> artists that I have to separate the art from the artist because I can, yeah. I cannot stand her as a person, just like Kanye West. Yeah. Like, yeah. but I'll fuck with her music though. Okay. But yeah, go check out Elvis, a Rocket Man, folks. If you're in, into you know music to kind of tie uh, or biopics to kind of tie into the topic for for this podcast okay we gave you a nice fat wad of podcasts until next time have a good rest of your night bye see ya